Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We humble ourselves before you. We're not worthy of all of your goodness. We're not worthy that you would consider us, but you do. Lord, you have a you you created us. You have a plan for us, and you've been good to us up to now. Lord, for those that are in this room that have not known your goodness, they have not understood how much you love them and how you've watched over them and not a hair has fallen from their head that you were not aware but that you've brought them to this place. For such a time as this, you have your eyes upon them and every detail of their life. I pray that they would know today that you love them and that you have a plan and a purpose for their life, that your spirit speaks to theirs. And I pray that we hear your, your voice and that you be used to, that you, that we would be used to communicate your spirit, your heart. To everybody that's listening, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been here long enough, you know Bishop travels quite a bit, and you know that the pastors wait for the call. And every once in a while, when you don't get the call, if you don't know what the call is, we'll tell you in a minute. But if you don't get the call, the text messages start to float around, hey, have you gotten the call? Have you gotten the call? As a matter of fact, maybe... So the call is, who's going to preach on Sunday? And I think maybe what we should do is when one of us gets the call, just send out a group text so everyone knows to be praying for you. I think I'll do that next time. Amen. So the good thing is, um, the bishop was able to put in my heart, he called, gave me a call, uh, and he put in my heart what was in his heart. And... and it was a three-minute conversation, and, and it was the goodness of God. God uses men. And it was the goodness of God being downloaded in three minutes for me to seek God's face for what I believe is God's word, let's just say God's word and God's message for us today. So it was, a, it was a, you know, and I, I learned things. I read verses that I've read. I'm, I've been a Christian 18 years, going on 19. And I read verses that I've read all my life or, or for the last 28 years. And I learned things and the Lord showed me things that I had never seen. And I want to share some of that with you today. I want to share with you what, what Bishop asked us to share. Um, so I want to start by saying that God wants you to know his will. Many times we think that God's will is a mystery or it's hard to find or it's difficult to know. I want you to know, and we're going to see in scripture, God wants you to know his will. Not just the pastor, not just the missionary. God wants you to know his will. Let's go to Romans 12 too. 
It says, do not be conformed to this world, and we'll get to that in a minute, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove <clears throat> what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove means, and I'm going to butcher the, the uh, pronunciation, but in Greek, by the way, the Bible was, the New Testament was written in Greek. Um, so that word that says prove, when I think of prove, <clears throat> I think of, I've got an argument or a case. I think of an attorney who has to prove something. But that word in the Bible, prove, is dokimazo, and it actually means to test, to examine, to see whether a thing is genuine or not. It compares it to testing a metal. In the old days, they would give you fake gold, and you would have to test it. Or they would give you something that they said was gold, and you would have to apply a test. You would have to apply a test on the metal to find out, are they selling me something fake or are they selling me something real? So the Bible tells us to prove, but what it really is saying is dokimazo, which is don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may recognize as genuine after examination. You are to be able, it is God's will, for us to be able to recognize after examination the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. It's not meant to be a mystery. It's meant to be something that you examine and that you test. There's three things this, bio, this verse says. Do not be conformed to this world. So if we want to know God's will, we cannot think like this world. One of the biggest obstacles to knowing God's will, one of the biggest sources of confusion in wanting to discern God's will is that we have been taught and trained to think like this world. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? It says, but be transformed. So don't take the form of this world, but take a totally different form. Form. What do they mean by a different form? By the renewing of your mind. So God wants us, number one, the whole purpose of this is that we understand his will. And to get there, we have to stop thinking the way we've been thinking. And we have to learn to think according to God's thoughts. We have to learn to think according to God's word. We have to learn to think according to God's spirit so that you can discern and recognize that you can test that you can examine if this is God's, what is the perfect and good and acceptable will of God. Electricians, I'm an engineer, part of my engineering training had, a lot of it was in the area of, of, of electrical engineering. Uh, but electricians, when they wanna know if there's current or when they're, when they're testing to see what's broken, when they're testing to see what is the, the situation with, it's called a circuit, with the circuit that they're dealing with, whether it's a house or whether it's a computer, they come with a, it's called a, with a meter that measures, it tests. Do I have current here? Do I have voltage here? Do I have resistance here? These are all, you know, you guys know current and voltage, maybe not resistance, but the point is the following. You come and you test and you get evidence. Is there voltage here? Yes check. Is there current here? Yes. Check. I see my 
um, my uh, appliance repair guy laughing because he's always having to repair stuff in my house. So he comes and he checks and he says, is this working right? And he does tests. We're called to learn God's word so that we can test, so that we can discern his will. We're not called to live this life without knowing God's will. Somehow we haven't been taught that. But the fact is, God's word says, Romans, let's leave that verse up there just so people can meditate on that. The Bible says that you may prove, that you may discern, that you may discern by examination what is the good and acceptable will of God. So God wants you to know his will. Before, now we said, God wants you to know his will. We said in order to get there, you have to stop thinking the way you're thinking. You have to stop thinking the way this world thinks. So what is, and transform or be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what are God's thoughts? Jeremiah 1.5. God knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Listen to this. God's will, first of all, you need to change the way you think to recognize God's will. And one of the things you need to know is God knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Before I formed you. So he formed you in your mother's womb. You have questions and doubts about your life. But he formed you in your mother's womb. And before he did that, he knew you. And it says that he, here it says ordained. I'm going to ask if you could find the New American Standard Version just because that's what my notes are. It's a slightly different translation. It means the same thing. But there it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I consecrated means set you apart. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb and I set you apart. I have appointed you. And to Jeremiah, he says, as a prophet to the nations. So God knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He formed you, so there was no mistake there. And he set you apart for a purpose. The world doesn't tell us that. Therefore, often we don't live that way. Therefore, we often don't think that way. But the Bible says, if I'm going to know God's will, I have to stop thinking the way the world thinks. And I need to think the way God thinks. And God says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Your life is not a mistake. It was a design. And I created you with a purpose and I set you apart for a purpose. So your life was formed by God with a purpose that he desired before you were even in your mother's womb. Let's go to Ephesians 2.10. We've got to work on this because in my case, I'm going to be, is it tomorrow? What day is today? Tomorrow's Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday, I will be 44. Woo! I used to be young. I used to be able to eat steak at any time of the day or night and sleep. Last night, I had the best. It was the commander steak. Lakefront property. 
I had a commander state. <clears throat> commander Caleb Perez invited some of the pastors over to have dinner, and we had the commander steak. Brother, I did not sleep. <laughs> and that's not your bad. The steak was too good. I ate too much, and I didn't sleep last night. Why did I go off into that tangent? <laughs> Let's see. I have no idea. I might remember why I said that. But the Bible says... Oh, because I'm turning 44. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't remember. Somebody told me. Okay, so I'm turning 44 on Tuesday, okay? 44 years of thinking incorrectly. Now, thank God, 28 years ago, thank God, my wife says, I, let me not go there. It, it's not about me. Um... My wife just says, thank, let me just put it this way. My, my wife says, thank God you got saved. Let's put it that way. We'll leave it there. Thank God that 28 years ago, I started learning. I started transforming the, my, by having my mind renewed and therefore transforming my life. But nevertheless, we've lived so long thinking wrongly, thinking the way this world wants us to think, that I just told you that God has a purpose for your life, but I know you need to hear it again. And I need to hear it again on another verse coming from another servant of God. For we, for you, are his workmanship. God formed you. You are his workmanship. For what? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not just any works. Good works that he prepared beforehand. Before he knew you, you were in your mother's womb. And he set you apart. For the works that he prepared for you. From beforehand, you were created with a purpose. And God has that already established before he put you in your mother's womb. Before he gave you the spirit that's inside of you. Galatians 4.19. Paul speaking by the spirit of the Lord. Here's the will, here, here is the will of the Lord. Paul speaking by the Spirit of the Lord says, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. God's will for your life is that Christ be formed in you. This is Paul talking to the church. So this is not Paul talking to Timothy who was his disciple. This is not Paul talking to Peter, who was a colleague. This is Paul talking to the church by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God says to you that his will is to form Christ in you. You may not know what that means, but we're starting to transform our mind to think according to God's thoughts. God has a purpose for your life, and within that purpose... It's to form Christ in you. I have many times had, for a long time in Christianity, I've seen, there's a, maybe you're, this is your first time and you haven't seen this yet. If you've come for any amount of time, you see that there, the price of Christianity, the cr price of walking with the Lord is a high price. It's everything. And for many years, I said, 
Lord, I see the high calling. Is that for me? And you have to wrestle with that. The calling is for you. But you have to decide if you want it. You have to respond. The calling, he set you apart. He created you with a purpose. He will not twist your arm to walk in it. You have to decide if you're going to do God's will. You have to decide if you're going to allow Christ to be formed in you. It's not easy. It's not fun. Some of it is. But a lot of it isn't. It's a high calling for a high honor and a high reward for the one who is worth taking all those rewards and all that glory and throwing it at his feet. But God has called you and he wants to form Christ in you. This is God's will for your life. Now, how does this happen? Ephesians 4.11. God wants to form Christ in you. But God uses men. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear it's just me and God. I got a direct line to God. Well, that's not what God says. He doesn't say you don't have a direct line. Let me clarify that. He doesn't say you... As a matter of fact, he says you have a direct line. But... It says that he, let me, let, 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 me, let me round that out. You have a direct line, but that's not all you have. And he expects that if you have a direct line, you're reading his word. And his word says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Next verse. He gave men with gifts, with callings. For what? To equip the saints. To prepare you. To form Christ in you. For the equipping of the saints. For what? For the work of service. That, the works that he prepared beforehand. Before you were in your mother's womb. He knew you and he created you. To, for the works that he had prepared beforehand. What are those works? The work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13. What, what is the bottom line? Until we basically, I'm going to read this, there's a lot of words. But at the end of everything I'm going to read, you're going to read, until Christ is formed in you. He gave pastors, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare you, to equip you until Christ is formed in you. Amen. We're going to read it now. But there's a lot of words here that are not words we use every day. So I'm giving you the bottom line. And then we can read it in scripture. Pastors, prophets, evangelists, preachers, and teachers to equip you, to prepare you, to form Christ in you so that you can do God's will. That's what we just read. You don't believe me? Watch the video again. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I told you it was a mouthful, right? But if you read that at home and you pray and you meditate over that, that's saying until Christ is formed in you. And that happens, God's plan is that he's going to use men. 
He's using a man right now, a very imperfect man, to communicate that to you. He used men to give us the, his word. God used his spirit. God gave his spirit to men to make his will known to us. And that paradigm, that mode of operation, he hasn't changed. He gives men to in whom he pours out his spirit that they might form Christ in others so that they can pour out their spirit so that he can pour out the spirit, his spirit into others as well. So God uses other men to form Christ in us. Now there's three fundamental aspects of forming Christ in our lives. Three aspects that are fundamental to our uh, three aspects that are fundamental to our formation in Christ is our development as sons and daughters, as husbands and wives, and as fathers and mothers. So, we're, what we're going to see today is key to our development as, <clears throat> or key to forming Christ in us is our development as a father, as a son as a husband, and as a father. I'm going to read you some verses. And, and th this series of verses is where God showed me something I had never seen before. It just jumped out at me. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5. And you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as, my, as sons. My son... God tells you, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. God is going to, listen, we're changing the way we think. God is going to discipline you. We want to run from discipline. My kids, my dog wants to run from discipline. My kids want to run from discipline. And we're going to read why later. I... It's difficult for me to say this, but if I'm honest, I probably run from discipline. I say it's difficult because I know it's wrong to run from discipline, and I know the benefit that there's been in my life, but we're going to read why there's a natural tendency to like, if discipline's coming this way, I'm going that way, right? So it says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're approved by him. Verse 6, for those whom the Lord Loves, he disciplines. And scourges, or I'll just say scourges, scourges, gorgeous, scourges. And scourges every son he receives. Do you know what, do you know what scour, to scourge means? To flog, to whip. That's like another level. We think discipline is, okay, you have time out. You're going to lose your cell phone. The Bible says he loves those, the him whom he loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son he receives. 
every son, every son, including the perfect one, including the first one, including the forerunner for us, he, he didn't just discipline him, he scourged him. Think about the wounds, think about the pain and the suffering that you undergo that you, many of you have seen different movies related to Jesus' life and death. And they're just watching it is difficult and painful. But you know in your life the things you've gone through that no one can comprehend. The depth of the wounds. The Bible says he loves those he disciplines and he scourges every son he receives. We got to go to verse 7 because I don't know how much longer you can take this one. Go to verse 7, please. It is for discipline that God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whose father does not discipline? Verse 8. This is the one that blew me away. Never seen this before. I've read it a million times. If you are without discipline, of which you've all become partakers, then you're illegitimate. We don't like discipline because it hurts. If you're a parent, you know you need to discipline. But the child that's on the receiving end doesn't get it. They think there's something wrong with you. You're addressing the fact that there's something wrong with them. That's not going to go well with them because if they don't listen to you, they're not going to listen to the teacher, they're not going to listen to the cops, and they're going to have to listen to Bubba when they get into jail. We have men in jail, and that's a fact, that have come out and they could tell you, better to learn now. Learn from dad, learn from mom, learn from pastor, so you don't have to learn from the correctional facility. So that you can profit and you can be blessed. If you're without discipline, you're illegitimate. I'm, I was going to read a bunch of the statistics that many of you have heard um, about fatherlessness, but I think we have so much that I want to go over that we're not going to do that. But what's amazing about fatherlessness is it's not that the father doesn't exist. It's not really fatherlessness in the sense that the father doesn't exist. Everybody had a father, right? Only immaculate conception. Only Jesus didn't have an earthly father. But everybody else had a father. So the issues of fatherlessness, by the way, and I'm going to make up numbers, okay? This is conceptual, so don't hold me to the stats. But if you read it, you'll get the spirit behind what I'm saying. Something like 80% of people that are in jail were fatherless. Not 100, but a very large number of people that are in jail or in correctional facilities were in a fatherless home. Doesn't mean dad didn't exist. It means dad was not disciplining. He was gone. The Bible says him who he loves, he disciplines and he scourges. He forms Christ in them so that they don't become what this world will do with them. Eat them, chew them, and spit them out and ultimately destroy them. When the father's not there forming, all bets are off. And I guarantee you it's not going to be a good outcome. And we're talking, thank God. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. That you're a father to the fatherless. 
Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful, that when men drop the ball, you show up. But absent our Heavenly Father, there's no hope. There's no hope. We need to receive the scourging, the discipline, otherwise we're illegitimate sons. Notice it's not the father that makes you illegitimate. Well, I guess it could go either way. If the father doesn't discipline you, then you're not a son, you're in the illegitimate category. If you refuse, but in this case, it's not talking about the father's lack of discipline. It's talking about the son's lack of discipline. Because it's, it says, don't despise the discipline of your father. In other words, you can be illegitimate because your father doesn't discipline you. Or you could be illegitimate because you do not submit to your father's discipline. I don't know what's worse. I don't know what's worse. But we're called to receive discipline. We're called to allow the sometimes painful process of Christ being formed in us. Verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not more be subject to the father of spirits and live? And remember, clearly, God will discipline you directly. Clearly. You don't have to worry about that. But remember what we read in Ephesians 4. God uses men. God uses men to form Christ in you. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. How much more will we not be subject to the Father's spirits and live? Verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as best seemed to them. Talking about our earthly fathers. But he, the Lord, disciplines us. Why does he scourge us? That's painful. That sounds like abuse. When we talk about scourging, I need you to think about whipping. I need you to think, and by the way, in the Bible and in Roman times, they didn't whip you with a rope. They tied bones and rocks to the rope. So when you got hit, it wasn't just a sting. It was also an impact of, a, of rocks and stones. And I mean, these people... They were, these guys did it to torture you. It says they did, the, our fathers disciplined us for a short time, it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us, why? For our own good. I needed the discipline that I received. And I didn't like it. And I didn't, I may, there was probably times where I didn't think I needed it. But looking back, I realized that I did. And you know what? I only needed it until I straightened out. At work, there's a funny saying, the lashings will continue until morale improves. That's a little bit, uh, that's a little bit, um, we got we to gotta remove, that's the, we got to transform the mind and the thinking. That's not, that's not being, com, that's being conformed to this world. But the point is, the point is, we need that. And many times, when we receive it, it's because the Lord is working something in us that can't be worked another way. I have a dog, a wonderful dog. 
weeks. Like, they told me he was like a puppy. And when you see the puppy, the puppy's like, what's about this? I might be exaggerating, but he's pretty big. He's probably like that. When he stands up on two legs, we see each other eye to eye. <laughs> and you read online that you have to, you know, never discipline the dog. Only, you know, train him with treats. And you train him with treats. And, 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 if, and, if, and if he does something wrong, you don't give him the treat. And you look away and you ignore him. I can tell you there's certain behaviors that don't change with treats. <laughs> and magically and contrary to what the internet says, a little bit of discipline goes a long way. <laughs> there's some things that God cannot get out of us. I see. There's some things that God cannot get, work out of us. Imagine that he's a potter forming the clay. And sometimes the clay get, resists and, and it gets tough. And there's some things that he can't work out of us without a painful process, without applying some force, some force that maybe cuts away something that we don't want to be cut away. But the Bible says he does it for our good, not for his good. He doesn't get pleasure out of causing you pain. He does it for our good that we might be one with him, that we might share in his holiness, that he might form Christ in us. Amen. Amen. I think one more verse here, verse 12. Therefore, suck it up. <laughs> Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. You're not going to die. But you're going to live, the Bible says. And you're going to tell of the goodness of God. Amen. But it will not be without pain. It will not be without suffering. And we're going to hear more about how even Jesus had to learn obedience through suffering. Proverbs 13, 24, 25. By the way, right now we're not talking about parents. We'll get to fathers. We're not talking about parents. We're talking about, read this as a son. He who withholds the rod hates his son. If God doesn't discipline you, he hates you. He who withholds the rod, the pain, hates the son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Um, when I think of diligently, I think I have a friend, uh, a brother from the church, I think of Patricio when he says al tiro, which I don't know how you translate that, but al tiro is like, like a gunshot, like with that quickness. Al tiro is like yesterday, post haste. You discipline him now when he needs it. God, the Bible says, if he doesn't, if you don't discipline your son, it's because you hate him. But if you love your son, you discipline him diligently. That means when he needs it, at, as much as he needs it, as many times as he needs it, until he doesn't need it. When he gets to the place that he needs to be for his own good, the discipline stops. It's amazing. But we don't learn. Sometimes we need a line. And sometimes we need to cross that line so that we learn not to cross the line. All of a sudden, after a couple of those, you have this peace about staying away from the line. And your life doesn't need the line anymore. I don't need that line. 
I don't even want to look at the light's direction. And there's peace and joy and prosperity within the lines that the Lord draws. And within the lines that our parents draw. Amen. I want to see you clap when you cross the line. <laughs> Me too. We're all in the same boat. It's human nature. It's God forming Christ in us. Proverbs 23, 13. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he's not going to die. Now, let's put some things into context. This is when you are disciplining for his good. Okay? Some, I told you guys to look at this as a son, but some of you are looking at this as a father. And some of you are saying, you know, there's two camps of those. Some of you are saying, you see, I'm going to let him have it. And the Bible says, he If you discipline him with the rod, he will not die if you're doing it for his good. If you're doing it out of wrath, meaning you're doing it because of something inside of you, you could kill him. But if you're doing it for his own good, he's not going to die. He'll survive and he will be better for it. He will be better for it. Not just he'll recover, he's going to be better. If you love him, you discipline him. He's not just going to get over it and forgive you. He's going to thank you when time passes. Yeah. Hebrews 5, 8 through 10. Hebrews 5. Jesus, why do we have to go through this? There's probably many answers. But know this. God is not asking you to do something that his son didn't do first. Jesus was our forerunner. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to walk in the steps that Jesus walked. It says, although he was a son, he, can you believe this? He learned obedience. Jesus had to learn obedience through the things which he suffered. If God is going to form Christ in us, just get this. If God's going to form Christ in us and Jesus learned obedience through suffering, do you think we can avoid suffering? Are we going to learn faster than Jesus? Are we going to take another path that's not the one that Jesus took? If God is going to form Christ in us and Christ learned obedience through suffering, guess, what's going to, guess what we have to do? Learn obedience through suffering. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that part. I think I didn't get the verse down, and maybe I'll look it up, see if the computer's... Be, let me see if I have it here somewhere. There's a verse that says, no discipline is motive for joy. Let me see if I have it. Yeah, I have it. I have it. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. No, it's actually, did we get off of it too soon? We got off of it too soon or I skipped over it. We're going to go back. Hebrews 12, 11. Can't believe we missed this. All discipline for the moment, from this moment, 
all discipline at that moment is not joyful. It's sorrowful. So not only is it not joyful, you're supposed to be sad. Discipline at the moment brings sorrow, but for those who have been trained by discipline, which produces sorrow, you're trained by discipline, which produces sorrow, but, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, but, but by those who have been trained by it, afterwards, I don't like it when pe preachers say this, but I'm going to say it. Say afterwards. afterwards. Now I know why they say it. I get it. It helps. At least it makes the preacher think that it helps it click. Afterwards, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. I've seen that in my life with my natural father, with my spiritual father, with my children, with my friends that have been walking with the Lord for 28 years, with everybody that's come along over the years. I've seen how the discipline produces sorrow, but afterwards it trains them, and later they get to rejoice in the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's been my experience, it's what the Spirit of the Lord imparts to you, and you know that it's true, because the Holy Spirit is the one that convinces us of the truth. So God wants to train you, and it's going to There will be some sorrow, there will be some pain, but afterward, it's going to bring a fruitful, it's going to bring a peaceful fruit of righteousness. So we talked about, we talked about being a son. We talked about how God is going to use men to form Christ in you. God's going to work directly. The Bible says there will come a time when no one shall say to, the, to one man to another, know the Lord, for you shall all know him. So God is going to speak to you directly through his spirit. But God clearly, there's no room for doubt that God is also going to use men. Perhaps it could be said his primary method is to use men to prepare you, to equip you, to form Christ in you. And Christ was formed, Christ's obedience was formed through suffering, which means we need to have men of God forming Christ in us. Amen. If not, our alternative, we can see it in the natural. In the natural, we all know the results of fatherlessness. We see it in society. How much more in our spirit? Will we either have be prosperous and blessed or be wayward and live in a desert without hope? So God has given the church and the men of God and we are called to submit to that even though it's sorrowful, so that afterwards you can rejoice in a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Amen. Now, once that we talked about sons, once you've come to a certain level of maturity where you've allowed the Lord to deal with you, you've been trained up 
The Bible says those who are trained by it, you've been trained up with discipline and sorrow. Once you get to a certain level of maturity, God now calls you to be a husband. So watch this. You guys know, this is, you know, one of those, it's interesting, those pastor cliches, because you hear them and you don't want to use them, but you just get sucked in. It's like a, I think it just, they just nail it. They, they, you guys know the three rings of, a we, of marriage, right? The wedding ring, I'm sorry, the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and suffering. <laughs> but it's not the wife's fault. And it's not the husband's fault. We think it is. But the suffering is because God is forming Christ in you. And you know what? If, I, if the suffering is going to happen at church, that's who I am a few hours a day. If the suffering is going to happen at work, that's who I am 40, 50, 60 hours a week. But if God is really working in you, there's going to be a fruit with the person that's most intimate with you, that's closest to you. There is the validity, the stamp that certifies that Christ is working in you is your relationship with your spouse. Because nobody knows you better Nobody's closer. You're the good, the bad, the ugly, the smelly, they know it. And you can't pretend, you can't fake, you can't act. You can only act so long and then you get worn out and you start to be who you are. The suffering of marriage is not your wife or your husband. The suffering of marriage is Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Marriage is your opportunity to take everything that you learned, everything you were trained for, everything that, they, that, that you were faithful in as an individual, and say, let's see if you can be a blessing to others. Let's see if you can be a blessing to one person. That one person that really knows who you are. The one person that's really, that sees you morning, evening, night, all day, every day. And after COVID, even more, right? <laughs> Work from home. You really see each other even more. The Bible says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is the source of the suffering that God has called us to lay our life down. Greater love has no man than this, to lay his life down for his friend. If you're not laying your life down for your wife, you're dropping the ball. You're dropping the ball. If you're upset at your wife, you need to reevaluate. Because your calling is to lay your life down for her. And if you're upset, it's because you're looking at your own rights, at your own feelings, your own desires, what you want, what you think should be the right, right according to your eyes. The Bible says, 
he lay, gave himself up for her. And we're going to read more about what, what does that really mean to lay, lay yourself up or, or, or give yourself up for her. But it says, he laid himself up for her, verse 26, so that he might sanctify her by the cleansing of the word, 27, that he might present to himself the church, uh, the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, uh, verse 28. So husbands, that same thing that Jesus did for the church, so husbands are to love their own wives as Christ loved the church, as they love their own bodies. At a minimum, you got to bring them to you care about their feelings, their pain, their desires, their perspective, at a minimum, as, as much as your own. Love your wife as you love your own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourish your wife. Cherish your wife, just as Christ does for the church. Where, so where do we learn to be sons? The church. The men of God. Where do we learn to be husbands? We are husbands at home, but we learn from men of God. That sit there and say... Brother, it's your fault. I don't want to hear it. No, because she does this and she does that and she says this and she's like that. It's your fault. Suck it up. You're not going to die. But you're going to die if you continue with that rebellion, with that rebellious spirit of wanting to grab on to all of your own rights at the expense of your wife. So the Bible says, lay your life down for her as Christ loved the church. Go Google, what does nourish and cherish mean? And you have a field day. You'll be busy for the next, ¿cuánto me quedan? 45, 50 years. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm trusting in the Lord and in medical technology to extend their life a little bit. I don't know how many years we have left. Tomorrow's not promised. Maybe, maybe today's my last day to nourish and cherish. And that's a fact. We all know people that die at, at, at every age, from birth, from, from newborn to 100 and something years old. We know people die all across the spectrum. So you don't know if you have tomorrow. But spend the rest of your life nourishing and cherishing your wife the same way by the way, this does not mean, this doesn't mean spoil her in the sense that give her everything she wants. It means give her everything she needs. Amen. And I don't mean need as in bare necessities either. I mean need as in for her to flourish. If you give your kids everything they want, are they going to flourish? Good answer, good answer, good answer. If you give your kids everything they want, they're not going to flourish. In the same way, when the Bible says to give yourself to your wife, to nourish her and cherish her, it does not mean to give her everything she wants. It does mean to give her everything she needs and not the bare necessities. We're talking about what she needs to flourish, to prosper. 
we're going somewhere with this, and that is we are called to, and we're going to read that, we're called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we're going to glorify God by the fruit that we give. So in your wife, you're not supposed to give her what she wants. You're supposed to give her what she needs so that she can flourish and be fruitful and so that the Spirit of God in you and in her can be multiplied into the earth. Amen? So isn't that spoil your wife? It's not do whatever she says. It's give her what she needs to prosper. Where on God's green earth do we learn this? The church. The men of God. That God uses, if you say, Lord, here I am. He'll take you through a process where he starts to form Christ in you. And then he starts to put his spirit inside of you so that you can reach other people. I was reached by the spirit of God that was in a man. Who was reached by the spirit of God that was in another man. I was not reached by some, uh, pastor likes to talk about the yellow mysterious yellow smoke. I did not see a vision and dream a dream and the Lord said, here I am. You know what happened? God put his spirit in, in some man that preached to Pastor Richie, that put the spirit of God into Pastor Richie, who preached to Pastor Joaquin and poured out his spirit. And I don't mean preach like that he got saved. I mean preach that he taught him, he formed him, he modeled, this is how you walk. God put his spirit in Nikki Cruz, before it was Wilkerson. Okay, put his spirit in David Wilkerson, who put his spirit in Nikki Cruz, who put his spirit in Richie Ray, who put his spirit, Maldonado, who put his spirit in Pastor Joaquin, who put his spirit in me, who's putting my spirit into my children, and anyone who will listen. God did that. He, it's God's spirit, but he uses man. And he's not going to change that model just because you don't like it or because you had a bad experience with somebody. I'm sure you had bad experiences. We've all had bad experiences with many people. My wife has had bad experiences with me. Thank God we're married. She's stuck. But I'm working on some good experiences. So... We got to give them what they need. And listen, I'm going to tell you this today. You know that you're going to need to hear this again tomorrow. And you know you're going to get out of line because it's happened before. You take your car to the mechanic and he aligns the car. Great. It's perfect for a time. But you're going to hit a pothole or the, the inner workings of the car, the physical pieces of the car are going to wear down and it's going to need another alignment. So it is not hearing a message once or understanding something. It is God using men to form Christ in you as a son, to form Christ in you as a husband. Because being a husband qualifies you. Being a good manager of your home, as the Bible says, qualifies you to serve in the church of God. Let's go to Matthew 16, 24. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone comes after me, if anybody, 
No exceptions. If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Where does that start? The first place or the most intimate place where you lay down your, where you deny yourself and lay down your life is in marriage. That's number one. And if you want to come after Jesus, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to let the spirit of God be formed in you, you have to let, you have to deny yourself. And the first and most important place that that happens is where you are who you are when no one's looking with your wife. Luke 9, 23 through 25. Well, we'll go with 23. He was saying to him, if anyone wishes, this is, this is another author in another Bible verse that says, he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me again, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Underline, say with me, daily. If you ever preach, you'll probably do that one day too and you'll, you'll, get, you'll see why. Say with me, daily, daily, good. So here's the point. Take up your cross daily. It's not a one and done. Somebody just, um, is it Ariana? Ariana, you just passed an exam, right? Where are you? Congratulations. Registered dietitian. Registered dietitian, she got in the back there and she said, I just passed my test and it was amazing and it was so hard and I wanted to give up, but I didn't and I pressed on. And it was until the last. What would have happened if you would have given up before the end? She wouldn't have made it. She was suffering agony. How long did you study? Six years for this test. And there were times where she wanted to give up. This is too hard. Is this worth it? I don't know. And I, you know, when she passed, the last question. Of her last test, if she would have given up and said, this is too hard, or I'm never going to make it, or I don't know why I'm doing this, she wouldn't have passed, but she just passed. Congratulations, anybody like me who needs to lose weight or wants to be healthier, okay, talk to her, or I can give you my diet, Diet Coke and Wheaties. She has a, hers is better, better for you. Okay, here's the point. Why did I say this? Because Pastor Jules went in there and said, all right, you passed it on the first time, one and done. Taking up your cross is not a one and done. Amen. Many people talk about the decision they made for Christ many years ago. Following Christ, taking up your cross is not a one and done. It's every day. Amen. It's every day. I'm not living for me. It's a lifestyle. And it's more than a lifestyle. That probably undersells it. But it is a life of laying your life down. Husbandry. Husbandry and, follow, and fatherhood qualify you to serve in the church. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Good job. Verse 2. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate. Say with me, temperate. We won't do the whole verse like that. Don't worry. But look at how you're supposed to be first with your wife. Temperate, 
find out, if you don't know what that means, go get a dictionary and learn because you need to be temperate, even tempered with your wife. Prudent, if you don't know what that means, you got a, lot to, you got a long way to go, but we're here to help. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now you read these and you say, yeah, but he's not talking about temper with his wife. He's talking about, you have to have a wife and you have to be, and then with everybody else, you can be temperate, prudent, respectable, able to teach. Go to the next verse. Three, please. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle. With who? With your wife first. You don't believe me? You'll see. Gentle with your wife. Free from the love of money. Verse four. He must be one who manages his own house well, keeping his children under control. These are the requirements to be an overseer in the house of God. What qualifies you to be an overseer in the house of God, one who manages his household well, keeping his children under control with dignity. One thing is under control, one thing is under control with dignity. Verse 5, but if a man does not, now watch this, this is why I say it's, it's not temperate with others and hospitable with others and peaceable with others. It says, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? So the proving ground for doing the will of God, the next, the next level in the will of God. The Bible says, there's a place in the Bible where it says, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the elementary principles. In other words, there's a progression. You start out with the basics, but God wants us to move on to maturity. In that progression to maturity, what qualifies you to do uh, the, to take care of the household of the church of God, I'm sorry, to take care of the church of God is how you manage your household. Because that's who you are. In other words, why are you going to export to others what doesn't work for you? I got something that doesn't work in my home. My life does not bear good fruit in my home. I cannot, I'm, I'm not going to let you export that. You're not going to let me export that to the church. If there's blessing in my home, if there's the spirit of God in my home, that's what I'm going to give. Like begets like. Whatever is in me is what I'm going to produce. Whatever's in my home, that's why, you know, um, Bishop Boone used to say that God is going to put us in charge of worlds. And, and you know, sometimes you just like blow your mind. But he's like, well, wait a minute. What would the world look like? If God gave you a world, what would it look like? It's like sci-fi, you know? God gave me a world. What would it look like? No, look at your home. The way you manage your home, that's, that's what you're multiplying. That's what you're producing. So if God gave you a world, what would it look like? It would look like your home. It would look like your wife. It would look like your kids. It would look like you. So God prepares you for the work of the, in the church of God through your husbandry, and your management of your children. So now we're going to maybe flip some things a little inside out a little bit. We talked about being sons and how the father disciplines the son. I'm sorry, how the son receives discipline from the father. Now that you've submitted to the men of God and Christ was formed in you as a son. And now that you've gone through the third ring of marriage, which is suffering, right? 
and you've laid your life down and you're a blessing to your wife, now it's time, now it's time to multiply. We're running out of time, but I'm going to say, the Bible says, be, let's see if we can hit that one. That's a good one. And then I'll, I'll try to cut time somewhere else. Um, Genesis 1.28. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. God calls us to bear fruit. We talked about changing the way we think, not being conformed to this world, but renew our mind. God, has, and, and knowing God's will. This is God's will. God has called you to be like Christ. God has called you to bear fruit. You know what I want to say, right? I want to say, say with me, bear fruit, but I won't say it. God has called you to bear fruit. The Bible says, and I won't read this, but it says, in this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. A father is one who reproduces himself in others. I started meditating what is a father, and I was thinking of all the positive aspects, and I said, you know, that's not what a father is. Because the Bible says you, there's a verse that says you are of your father, the devil, the father of lies, who was a liar from the beginning. So a father is one who reproduces himself in others. It's not, well, and so God is calling you to allow men of God to form Christ in you, for you to be trained in how to live and prove yourself how you manage your home so that now you're ready to start multiplying and filling the earth with his glory. The spirit, obviously, children, I've got four and, you know, there's always that discussion. But obviously physically, but <laughs> Francis is like, you didn't go there, did you? Um, four Physically, but more importantly, and what God is after is the spirit of God in us. He wants us to let it be formed in us so that then we start to be fruitful and multiply it in others. So God is calling you not just to have children, but form those children. Pour your, allow the spirit of God that's in you to be poured out into those children so that now they've multiplied and the, the, the Bible talks about physical children and it talks about spiritual children because it says you cry out Abba Father by adoption in our spirit. So there is such a thing as being a spiritual son. And the Bible says I thank God that I, I don't know if he says he thanks God that, that he's not a spiritual father to, men, to all of them. But the point is, Paul says he has spiritual sons, and then he has some that are not spiritual sons. Meaning, my spirit is in some of these guys, and my spirit is, is, is not in others. Some of you guys just listen to what I say, but you're not who I am. I have not been reproduced in you. But some guys have allowed themselves, have allowed me to be reproduced in them. And the Bible says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So you don't want to reproduce anything. And God help us from reproducing anything in our children that's not Christ. But the Bible says the things, and we're running out of time, so I'm not going to the verses. But the Bible says the things 
you've learned from me. The things you've learned from the men of God, the formation of the man of God and the spirit of God inside of you as a son, as a husband, teach to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So God calls us to now that his spirit is in us, multiply that in our children physically and multiply that in our children spiritually. And then, now God is using you. And you're going to form Christ in others. God is going to form Christ in others, but he's gonna, you have the privilege of letting him use you to do that. That is God's will. That Christ would be formed in you. And that you would bear much fruit in that you, would bear much, that you would multiply and bear much fruit and glorify him. Amen. We'll close with these verses. Philippians 3, verse 7. Now we're going to hear from Paul, who is... I don't know if we probably call him a patriarch. I don't know that the Bible calls him a patriarch, but certainly he was the most, um, one of the most influential men in the Bible who had the most spiritual sons whom God used, you know, on par with anybody. And he says, the things that were gained to me, this is, this is where we're going with this, that when you become a father, you haven't, you're not done. You haven't arrived. Remember we said that this is a daily taking up your cross and following me. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Don't, don't move the verse yet. Whatever is on your, those of you who have uh, businesses or, or manage businesses, you, you have books, right? And in your books, you have profit and loss. You have assets and liabilities. For the accountants, I know it's different, but you'll get where I'm going. You have assets and liabilities. You have profit and loss. Those things that I consider profit, those things that I consider gain, I've counted as loss. So mature, this is what maturity looks like. Whatever things were gain, I've counted those as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. More than that, this is maturity. This is what maturity looks like. I've counted all things as loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing, knowing Christ Jesus for whom I've suffered the loss of, count, of all things and count them rubbish. Verse 9. That I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through, uh, uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness with com which comes on the basis of faith. Verse 10. That I may know him. That's the goal. He says, I counted all loss that I might know him, that I might know the power of his resurrection. Now watch this. You can't know the power of resurrection if you've never died. The power of the resurrection sounds amazing. Sounds glorious. But in order to get to the resurrection, Jesus had to go through death. And he's saying, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And, be, and, and that brings with it the fellowship of his sufferings. Am I exaggerating? Being conformed to his death. Verse 11, in order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. 
I know these are lofty things. I get it. It's like, you just threw me into the deep end and you tied, you, you tied weights and took me to the bottom. But this is what maturity looks like. Verse 12. Not that I'm already there. This is Paul. Paul says, not that I'm already there or have already been made perfect, which by the way, that translates to mature. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me when he, when he, before he put me in my mother's womb, when he knew me, he laid hold of me for that. And for that, I press on. Verse 13. I don't consider that I, Paul, who've written the whole New Testament or most of it and have reached thousands for Christ, I do not consider myself to have laid hold of it yet. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind I reach forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14. Press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call for which Christ Jesus created me, called me, took hold of me. Verse 15. As many as are mature, let's have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, if this is over your head, what does it say? God will reveal it to you. I know this is over a lot of people's heads. It's probably, it's over a lot of people's heads. Some people can't even desire this. I remember when I read this and I couldn't desire it. I couldn't even say, Lord, I, I had to tell the Lord, Lord, I want it. I don't get it. I know I'm not there. I can't say amen because it's just too high. But I want it. I want it to be my desire to count everything as rubbish. I want it. I need you to do that work in me. I allow you, I invite you, please, Lord, do the work in me that I might count all things rubbish so that I might know you and that I might do that for which you created me for. Whatever level of maturity that you've obtained, as many as are perfect, again, that word is mature, have this attitude, what he just said. If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just ask that whatever was lacking in this preaching, that whatever was lacking due to time or skill or, or wisdom or knowledge, that your spirit would fill in the gaps. And I pray that you would reveal this as your word promises and put this in our spirit that you've called us to be fruitful, to multiply, to glorify you by bearing much fruit. And that the foundation for that is learning to be faithful sons, learning to be faithful husbands, learning to be faithful fathers. And that in that process, you would be formed in us. Because those are the most intimate, those are the most revealing as to who we really are. So we pray that Christ would be formed in us and that we would submit to your agents, to your servants that you've given to equip us, to prepare us, to bring us to maturity in you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're dismissed. God bless you all.